I have had an entire bottle of wine. So, cheers. So, wait, is that part of a second bottle of wine? Yep. And I have to go into work tomorrow <laughs> because I work in healthcare. So, Tara has already drunk a full bottle of wine. Yeah, me. I feel sorry for all of you because you're going to have to listen to this. <laughs> I always feel sorry for all of you, even when you listen to me sober. Last time, the two of us split two bottles of wine, which was basically one bottle a piece. I am We're not into mine. Yeah, she's starting on her second bottle. Hail so, yes. So buckle in, hoes. It's just me. I hope your uh, third eye is open because, I don't know, there was supposed to be a joke there. So we are basic snitches. And... That's right. Oh, I see a cat in the background. Oh, that... it's Betty. Betty is here. She's having a snack. We might have Betty and Berkeley in the same episode. That's never happened before. Oh, I think that would be lovely. Betty is having a snack. She doesn't usually get to eat because Bart eats all her food. (laughs) Maybe that's why she's always angry. (laughs) Yeah. So we are once again recording this remotely. I believe that the sound quality is probably good because I did some testing on our last episode we just wrapped. So... And that bitch is Tara. That bitch is Adam. That's right. <coughs> and today we are discussing Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves. Yeah. Before I read this beautiful summary that Adam wrote me, I would like to announce that the loser of Chapter 5 is Draco Malfoy, which I'm sure is not shocking because he's an asshole. And the winner, also not shocking, is Remus Lupin. Yep. That was a real easy one. So Adam wrote a beautiful summary that doesn't look very long, which is interesting. Oh, it's Um, long, honey. You need to take another look. This chapter had a fuck ton in it. Okay. For you, it's kind of (laughs) short. I beg to differ, but whatever. So this says summary, Monday, October 7th, 2019, 8.13 p.m. The reason is that I put the same thing in one note. And so it's the day that I created that page. (laughs) I just remove it and like reuse that page for the summary. That's funny. Okay. (laughs) Actually, I'm really, really prepared. And I have my summary for all of our chapters in the future done. Good job. (laughs) How does that make you feel? Well, I already felt underprepared, so thanks. But I have at least finished a bottle of wine, so I win tonight. Well, we'll see how well you're winning at the end of this episode. Chapter six. (laughs) That wine is already clouding your inner eye, bitch. My inner eye is not great. Okay, chapter six. Your inner eye had glaucoma a long time ago. Wow, that was real harsh. Thanks for coming at me. You're welcome. I can say that because I'm basically a divination... bitch. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> okay, chapter six, Talons and Tea Leaves. Class is back in session. The trio starts the first day of class at breakfast. Irrelevant Pansy, my nickname in middle school, is being a bitch about the, the teeth with sheets. You wrote teeth with sheets, not sheets with teeth. Yeah, same thing. You sure did. About the teeth with sheets incident. I'm gonna read it. Fred and George are being supportive, older brothers, and Hermione is reviewing her laborious class schedule. Off to the best class ever. Divination!
If only it didn't take two hours to get there, but at least we see one of my favorite paintings on the way. Sir Cadagan and his fat pony. Not a dick joke. I do appreciate the aesthetics of divination class. But to be honest, I think that some of Quinn Sybil's tactics are a bit too concrete for divination. Anywho, Neville is a clumsy bitch, and Hermione is a, well, she's just kind of a bitch, and Lavender and Pavardi are Adam. For their first class, they be sipping on that true tea, hunty. And Trelawney predicts that Harry's gonna die, and tells Hermione she doesn't have the right aura for this. Yeah, I have opinions, we'll get into it. After things get super awk, they take the trek down to Transfiguration, and Magus' class is about in Magi. I'm sure that's important. Magus can tell things are a bit off with the class, and that's when they tell her that Trelawney predicted Harry's death. And in so many words, Magus says that Trelawney is a few tarot cards short of a deck. The trio have a conversation about the death omens and Ron's concerns since he knows what a grim is and Hermione is being kind of dismissed. Next, on to Care of Magical Creatures, Hagrid's first class. He asks the students to open their terrifying books, after which Draco asks how. Draco makes the first good point that he's ever made in his life. Don't worry, that gets canceled out soon enough. We're jumping right in and covering hippogriffs. They're sort of horse-griffin hybrids, not a hippogriffin hyphen. <laughs> not that's a hip good. How's that wine doing for you? Fuck you. Not a hippogriffin hybrid as you might think. We already covered that in chapter two as we discussed Marge. Nice. Harry offers to be the guinea pig and vows to another Quinn. Quinn Buckbeak. And it takes a while, but Quinn Buckbeak bows back. So Hagrid lifts Harry on top of the creature and they fly around for a bit. Harry does not enjoy this, despite what the movie might suggest. Once he comes back to Earth, Everyone now takes turns. Draco actually gets a bow back from Buckbeak, but wow, he fucks it up, and Buckbeak does the most logical thing anyone's ever done in this chapter, except for McGuh, and slashes the little prick. Hagrid takes the dramatic SOB to the hospital wing, and everyone's nervous that Hagrid's gonna get fired, so the trio go to visit him, and Hagrid gets mad because Harry is there, and Hagrid does a responsible thing. Well, that a long day. <laughs> it definitely was a long day. <laughs> This was a long day. So much has happened in like each day of this book so far. Like it harkens back to the whole thing with Marge getting blown up and then the night bus and For real? that whole long evening. A lot happens in this day. So. This is a long fucking day. So when they're having the conversation at the very beginning of the chapter about like, oh, new classes and stuff, it makes me think of when I did elections for each semester in college. Uh -huh. I know college versus high school, whatever. But like the fact that they have electives now and the excitingness about like going from one course to another. This whole chapter gives me a lot of college -y feels and I'll get a little bit more into that later. See, the beginning of the chapter to me, I literally, the first thing I wrote was fuck Draco. Also, fuck oh, Pansy Parkinson. Yeah, he says something. Yeah, Pansy Parkinson. 
that bitch doesn't know how to like take a back seat. Right, get the Drake, fuck out. Draco already has got the being a dick thing on lock. We don't need your fucking ass coming They're in. They're all terrible. In your opinion. But Fred and George are being great, which is interesting since they were such dicks earlier on in the book. But they're yeah. being real sweet to Harry. Yeah, I really did like Fred and George here as well. I agree. George is pulling some truth, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, by the way, Draco was actually afraid of the Dementors too, so fuck that guy. Yeah. Actually, a direct quote from the book. It really is. But also, like, Draco is afraid of so much more than just the Dementors, you know? Like, right. Fuck that guy. So when they're off to their first class, we have definitely said something like this before, but they need a handbook that has a map. Their third years, I get it that they've never been to this part of the castle, but I feel like there's got to be a tour or something. Like, what are the prefects doing? That's unfortunate. However, they eventually make it to the divination tower. And when they do, they see Sir Cadogan. I hate him. I know you love him. Okay. So I don't past, hate him. He's annoying. In the past, I always hated him. But something about this read-through and how extra he is really appealed to me. <laughs> like I was like, wow, okay, maybe I like you a lot. The paintings already in this book are like stepping their shit up because we got Fat Lady being her last self. And we got Sir Cadogan here who at first he's like, you know, putting on that bravado thing, trying to like come at them. And then when they're like, uh, do you know where the divination room is? He's like a quest. And he helps him out. So I really, really loved him this time. I, which I did not expect. I think that I have so much frustration with him from the past. That I just was like, ugh, here he is again. Yeah, I think that there are some characters that I'm finding a little bit different from how I've read in the past. Because I definitely was there too. But yeah, I don't know. I liked him this time. Sir Cadagan is like, call on me. And, he, and Ron's like, yeah, if we need someone mental. Ron and his one-liners in this book. Yeah, Love I it. guess that's true. I glossed over that because I was like, here we go. We're getting into it. Right. My favorite. Then the ladder comes from the ceiling and they go up to heaven, a.k.a. Divinity. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. This whole divination class is very interesting. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. It's all yours. Because, I mean... You all were expecting this. I love my tarot cards. I love my crystals. I love everything about all of these divination moments. I've been waiting for this. I love Professor Trelawney. And I really like the aesthetics, too, of everything here. It does give you that very fortune tellery kind of feel. It has almost like a Marrakesh kind of feel to it. All the draping fabric. And even, like, the way that Trelawney is described like an insect. Which is interesting, because we see, of course, Rita Skeeter in the future. There's an insect tie there. We're definitely not there yet. She that bitch can wait till the next book. She also really reminds me of several professors I had in college. I majored in English, and I don't know why, but like this read through, it definitely gave me that vibe back. You know, if we're relating things like potions back to chemistry, divination is definitely a humanity. Several times, both Hermione and McGaugh, now and in the future, have talked about it being an imprecise branch of magic. 
I don't necessarily think I like Trelawney's approach in this very first class. Interesting. But I don't think she's teaching it the right way. And to an extent, I kind of agree with what Hermione's saying. But I also don't like Hermione's approach to Trelawney. For example, she says, if you do not have the sight, then you're not really going to succeed from this class. And so, like, books not being a good way to learn this stuff, which is, I think, kind of a poor way to say this kind of stuff. Because my whole thought with any time, like, I read cards or anything, you definitely need to have an open eye, but be an open eye. <laughs> yeah, don't try to read cards with your eyes closed. It's not going to really work well. Yeah, imagine why. Um, no, you have to have like an open mind and you also have to be grounded to an extent. So coming in on the first day, reading tea leaves is a little bit similar to coming in on the first day with hippogriffs, I feel like. Okay. Like maybe the first thing that she should be teaching here is meditation and how to get grounded and how to make sure that your inner eye, as she says, isn't fogged over, you know? Mm -hmm. Like you want to go in with a specific mentality. Some people have already kind of shown that they have a good sense of that like Harry mm -hmm. I feel like Harry has always shown that he is super mindful and so perhaps he would excel in this but I think she automatically saying oh no 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 you either have it or you don't I don't like that I feel like she could have started off a better way in in this 101 thing instead of being like okay here's the first thing I got let's read some tea leaves bitches I think in general the problem with magical education is that a lot of these professors are, well, I'm good at this, so I should teach it. And yeah. no matter how you feel about divination, that's actually outside of what I'm trying to say, is like, that's the problem with Snape. But as we get through the series, people like to argue that he actually is a great professor and teacher. He's not. I yeah. don't think he is. And he's not the only one. Obviously, the choice to have a ghost to can't keep people's attention teaching the history of magic. And in the case up until now, the Defense Against the Dark Arts professors, and here, I think, like you said, Trelawney being like, I know what I'm talking about does not equal teaching. Absolutely. That's a great way to say it, because you're completely right. Snape, Hagrid, unfortunately. Professor Binns is a great callback. I mean, when I think of, like, a really good professor, McGuh is the first one that comes to mind. Like, so, so are Flitwick and Sprout. Oh, that's true. Of course. Think... But yeah, and I think like in terms of the imprecise branch of magic thing that McGuh does say after this too, because I see divination <laughs> is more of a humanity. It's not this thing of like, oh, you must predict the future. In a future book, speaking of the future, Umbridge asks Trelawney to make a prediction. Yeah. This isn't necessarily about that. I don't know anything about tea leaves or anything, but from what I know about like crystals and palmistry and tarot cards, it is providing a path and also being honest with your clients, in this case your students, but also providing them with some sort of advice and guidance about what their next step should be. 
It's not just a finite XYZ is going to happen or you're going to die. There is the one reading that Ron has about like, well, you're going to suffer, but then you're going to be happy. That is actually not a bad reading in air quotes from like a tarot. I know it's tea leaves and tarot, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you, I kind of have been thinking of divination as kind of the, in not the same regard, but it's kind of like taking a philosophy class Yes, where it's not for everyone and there's a practical application to it and which gets you through a class, which is the problem with Trelawney teaching because she's just like, you either get it or you don't. That's not generally the way that the majority of the world thinks and analyzes, but there's still some sort of thing in play where you can analyze and follow a kind of guideline in the way that Hermione would. I think that it's a huge disservice to the students where your best student comes in and is just a disaster. And really what's happening with Hermione, and we see this through the whole book, she should be given an opportunity to approach it from more of a philosophical standpoint where there's a guideline where, yeah, this is what I see and sure it's not 100% on. Philosophy is a really, really good comparison. I mentioned like English. If we're talking about humanities, sure, they're in the same kind of bucket there. I think that there needs to be some sort of creativity and openness to it. Now, in terms of how Hermione does react here. Oh, she's so sassy and I love her. She's sassy, but I think she's being a little bit disrespectful. Trelawney is isn't handling it well either. Kind of like giving the sass back. Yeah. Also, like, I want to try to think of, like, the fact that Hermione is also time traveling. She's got to go through all these other classes. While there is an implementation for her to have that time, there's also energy and time outside of class that needs to be taken. So, like, not as cut and dry there. Yeah. But she kind of comes in and is automatically, like, very, very close-minded to it which is kind of not what she should be doing. But at the same time, Trelawney's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter if you're open-minded to it. If it's something that you have or you don't, which is not true, I don't think. So I agree with you. So I think there's something very problematic with both of them in this instance. Do I still love this scene? Yes. And like, I do want to quickly go back to like what Ron said, because Ron, it's the, I can't remember what the first symbol is that he sees, but the second one is the sun. And there's a- In the movie, it's Ron. In the book, it's, it's Harry. Harry is reading Ron's teacup there. Oh, okay. There, there's a difference right there. But there's the suffering and then the sun. And the sun is a tarot card too that basically means that everything is aligning for you and it really is like happiness and everything. So the fact that he is trying to find the journey there and give some advice perhaps, or like, hey, things are going to be bad you're gonna suffer but things will resolve it's kind of like what i said at the end of the last episode like life is not just this linear thing it's not black and white like what this reminds me of is the tower card in tarot which is basically the tower of babylon and it like crumbled and it's supposed to be a symbol of like everything you built up is crumbling but what happens after that is that you rebuild and it's an opportunity for moving on into the next phase of your life. And if that mm-hmm. is followed by the sun, that is an actually a very good lesson and reading and showing that while you're going to have some things, like after it looks like things are going to be a disaster, it's going to all work out. In my mind, 
I feel like Harry and Ron, even though they're kind of like tripping through it and everything, but they're students, they're learning in class. Yeah, they're kids. They're going about it the right way, I think. Really, really wanted to get that point across that. I love Trelawney, but... Her approach could use some tweaks. I love Trelawney as an entertaining addition to the series. All of her predictions are frustrating for me because it just kind of sets a precedence for everyone. She's like, oh, Neville's a fucking mess. And then she says to Pavardi, beware the redheaded man. And then Pavardi's like glaring at Ron. Yeah. She is setting up all this stuff. And for like this introductory class, we have to decide whether she's real deal or not. And then the next thing that happens is they go to do Transfiguration and McGonagall like calls Ron on her bullshit. Something that you said there made me think about something else. Cause I talked about meditation as being like a base perhaps. Kind of get grounded and have good energy before you get into it. I feel like tarot could be a mindfulness practice because I feel like it is very calming. Again, tea leaves, tarot, whatever. Same thing. I imagine any of these things could be. Tea is healthy for you and kind of is a nice way to kind of get grounded. But what Mm -hmm. she's doing instead of making people mindful is she's giving them anxiety, which is the opposite of what I feel like this class is doing. The other thing, though, that I wonder about, because she does make so many little mini predictions, she says the thing about like how there's going to be about a flu, and then... Right, and all of it ends up coming true in its little ways. Some of these long-term things, I'd be interested to see, like, does Parvati run into a red-headed man that she should be wearing? Yeah, we don't get an answer on that. We don't get an answer about the flu, but we do learn about Neville being a mess. And we do have the whole thing about the rabbit. So it'd be interesting to go through and see like what of her things do come true. My guess is that a lot of it comes true, but the way that she framed it is not great. She's going into this with this perspective of no matter what, because I have it, it doesn't matter how I say it. But like, that's not a good teaching method either. If there happen to be some students, whether it's Pavardi or Lavender or Ron or someone else, you don't want them thinking, oh well because I am one of the chosen ones who have like an inner eye or whatever Mm -hmm. this is how I can approach things it's like no because like if you apply this to the real world and they do end up being a seer or something like that like that's not how you want to approach your clients either so yeah there's a lot of problematic stuff here it feels like we're kind of on the same page oh yeah but I still love Trelawney I know you do. I mean, it's the same way in like, at the end of the last book, you said you love Lucius Malfoy for the character that he is, not the character that he has. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when they go to McGonagall's class, I just want to say that I love her in this chapter. When she's like, well, you know, Harry, you seem to be just fine. So I'm not going to let you off for your homework unless you die. Like, I love that. I think it's fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. It's a nice little break because... We about to have to spend time with fucking Slytherins, so you're yeah, I'm with some Slytherins right now. Yeah, I don't mind you, <laughs> Draco Ber- Malfoy. He's a fucking asshole. Berkeley's here somewhere too. I mean, both of the cats are probably Hufflepuffs. Let's be honest, but Betty's a Slytherin. Where the fuck she is? Bart's a Muggle. Oh, no, Bart's a squib. (laughs) Oh, Barty. I agree with you. I think this McGonagall moment is really great. It's a nice contrast to Trelawney. So after that, then we go to Care of Magical Creatures. 
Oh, yay. I said this in my summary, but as we're going into the lesson, Draco was like, and how exactly are we supposed to open these books? And like, he is a little bit sassy. And this is one moment where he's like, okay, Draco has a point. And let's be honest, I would probably ask the question like how he does with this head bobble that I'm doing, you know? Yes, it's very nice. So I was like, okay, he has a point, but it's the only point he's ever made. Also, once Hagrid tells them how to do it, I'm like, okay, that's amusing. I'm amused by it. Yeah, I was really going to make a joke about that. You have to stroke it. Yeah, you got to stroke that monster book's dick. Okay. Well, it's fine, but maybe that's where the dick is. We don't know the anatomy of this book. This is true. Maybe they reproduce by just bumping their spines together. Oh my God. That's why there's so many of them and they're ripping each other apart in the bookstore. Yeah. As they're ripping each other apart, they're also reproducing. Oh my God. Now we know. It's canon. It's canon. That's how these books reproduce. Can we talk about how, how lovely it is? Harry's desire for Hagrid to be successful. Yeah. In first class, I think is really sweet. Again, it's just another reminder of how atypical of a child he is. Because what 13-year-old boy is like, you know what? I would like my adult friend to be very successful in his first lesson. Like, I wasn't like that at 13. And I loved a lot of my teachers, you know? I mentioned something like this maybe at the end of the last book. In that same respect, it would be so interesting if they'd be like, okay, Hagrid, we're forgiven from what we accused you of doing. You can go back to school and get your GED. And and I'd love to see Harry, like, supporting Hagrid in class. I think that would be really He would. I think that, well, and Hermione would be like, let me study with you and, like, make sure you get it. Yep. Honestly, there's a lot of shit that the Ministry of Magic does wrong. Am I wrong when I say that I think that they failed Hagrid more than anyone else? I guess that there's an argument for Harry down the road. But but as far as a long-term goal, what Harry is now, what, like 40? Hagrid is, you know, if we're talking about 2020, like it is right now, Hagrid is 90 or something. Yeah. So they've both been wrong for their entire lives. But think about the fact that Hagrid is still required to be the gamekeeper, but he's not allowed to use a wand. Obviously, it's his choice and Dumbledore's choice. Yeah. Justice for Hagrid. Yeah. Justice for Snake. Justice for Hagrid. It would be interesting to go back through and see like all the different times where the ministry fucked up. That's the whole reread in itself. Right. And it's because of people like Draco in these classes that they are continued to fuck it up. Like Draco. Before we get to him though, there's this moment where Buckbeak and Harry come together. Yay. After the bowing thing kind of works, and I appreciate that it's not a rushed moment, that there's mm-hmm. some of that trepidation and everything. But then Hagrid's like, okay, time to ride, and then just plops him right on his You're like, holy shit, what? <laughs> they ride around a little bit. It's interesting that we get the comparison of a broom versus Buckbeak. Mm-hmm. Because when we get to the movie, and I already touched on it in my summary, I have some issues. He got some opinions. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say it now. I get that making it seem like Harry enjoys riding Buckbeak is better for the movie. But wow, they really turned that one around from what's Right, because Harry's not loving it. But then after that, I do also like this moment where everybody kind of gets to interact with the hippogriffs. And there's multiple (laughs) hippogriffs. Yeah, I want to know their names. Yeah, me too. And I also like love how like individual characters are approaching them. I also like, I don't want to go unnoticed, that Lavender and Pervardi, now there was a class in between and they're still stuck on divination. 
talking about the tea leaves mm -hmm. in this moment. I always love when they add additional characters in here because it shows that these classes aren't just the trio and Neville and Draco. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, when they're like, Harry, you shouldn't remember yeah. your stuff. Yeah. So, I like the comments on Neville being afraid of his hippogriff. Uh, because we have another similar little moment with Neville in the book. So in comparison to the last book, we are definitely getting more Neville here, which is nice. And then, of course, the whole thing happens where... Fucking Malfoy. In the book, Malfoy actually gets a bow, and then he has to, like... He's a shit. What <laughs> would compel you? I mean, he wasn't paying attention. Obviously. And Dean Thomas is like, he wasn't paying attention, guys. Shout to Dean Thomas. And there's another character, too, you know, that we don't see. We don't see a ton of Dean. But on top of it, just not even, like, thinking it through and just going back to, like, what his default is. And that's being a little asshole. And I feel like it almost switches very quickly. And you even see this with Pansy, too. How it switches to being an asshole and being such a, like, stuck-up little bitch to becoming so dramatic. I feel like it's not the fact that he's gushing blood. I feel like it really is just him being dramatic and trying to, like, cause havoc. So dramatic. And Harry is even like, uh, Madame Pomfrey can do anything. Yeah. He's giving her some cred. I regrew all the bones in my arm last year. Madame Pomfrey can fix this in, like, a half a second. I mean, Fox could come and fix it in half a second. Fucking get Fox there. Yeah. Also, if you could let your professor have a fucking wand, he might know healing spells. If you'd let well, him go to school and get his GED. He might, but at this but moment, he he <laughs> But, I mean, just imagine it was a different professor. I'm just saying, like, we don't know what Hagrid would have become if he'd been allowed to go back to school. After this, the only, like, little button on the chapter is that they go to visit Hagrid to make sure that he wasn't fired. Poor Hagrid. Of course, it's very similar to the last episode before Aragog, where they go down before Hagrid gets taken away. He's very, very nervous in true Hagrid fashion. And then when he sees Harry... He, like, does a 180. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck? Get the hell out of here. Yeah. That scene makes me sad because he's just like, I'm not worth it for you to see me. I think it's all about the direness of Harry being out after dark. I'm a little concerned that McGonagall and Dumbledore have not addressed this directly. Yeah. And then Hagrid is the one who has to be like, oh no, you can't do this. And I think when Hagrid is going, you shouldn't do this, I think it's really telling of how important it is. We've already seen in the series, and we will see even more in the series, that Hagrid's not, not thinking about their safety but he is, depending on their friendship, the time where he's not. It also makes me sad that he's just like, I'm not worth it for you to get in trouble, or more so, I'm not worth it for you to be hurt by Sirius Black, which is what this is implying, you know? Yeah, I think it's more the second oh, yeah. one. It absolutely is about that second part, but it, it makes me sad because Hagrid is the epitome of generosity and graciousness. Fuck, Mary Carol! <laughs> Oh, here we go. So, similar to the last chapter, there are a lot of options, but here we are with electives. So I kind of went back and forth with the ones that I want to choose, but I focus in <laughs> these three. Okay. Fuck, Mary kill. Divination. Arithmancy. Muggle studies. Well, I am bad at math, so I'm going to kill arithmancy. I thought you might say that. <laughs> Just because I feel like it would be fucking wild and weird, I would just suck divination. 
And I would marry Muggle Studies because I'm lame. <laughs> I think I would probably fuck Divination. Not marry Divination. For somewhat of the same thing that you say, but I'm also a bit of like a math person and it's a little bit more concrete. And I feel like I would be able to drive with that more. So I'm gonna marry Arithmancy. I think it's fun that Hermione wants to take it for that perspective reason, but eh, no, not for me. Now I'm gonna give you my alternative fuck, marry, kill as well. Okay. And that is divination. Arithmancy and care of magical creatures. I'm gonna marry care of magical creatures. Mm -hmm. We're gonna fuck divination, and I'm still gonna kill arithmancy. I think I am probably in the same boat. I'm gonna fuck divination. I'm gonna marry arithmancy, and I'm going to kill care of magical creatures. I, I don't know. I don't feel like that's my thing. Now, here's the other thing. I feel like I'm choosing to marry Arithmancy because it's the responsible thing to do. Arithmancy is that really, like, cute one. The one that's, like, really, like, appealing and stuff. But they don't have, like, stability or anything. They ain't got a job. They are living in their parents' basement. Good for a fun time, fun for a good time. Whatever you want to say. But if I want to, like, you know, have a stable, good partner, I'm going to have to marry Arithmancy. So. That's fair. Yeah. Going into divination, it is like a shrink-wrapped version of the book. <laughs> you don't get so much of her saying like, well, you have it or you don't kind of thing. But I think through the acting and through her character being a little bit like bobbleheaded, I think you get that same sort of approach so that when Hermione does join, she gets the whole like load of rubbish thing of like, what the fuck? Like, this doesn't seem logical or anything, you know? The class is so big. Yeah, <laughs> it's a huge class. That is something else that I really liked in the book was all the detail in the class and the way that she's interacting with individual people like Neville and Lavender and Parvati. I mean, I get it. They had to condense the class and everything, but I feel like the relationship between Hermione and Trelawney in particular in the book makes a lot more sense and gives a little bit more of their characters. I feel like if it's just the way that it is in the book. And even like when they're going down the hill to care of magical creatures, Hermione's kind of like talking shit and stuff. And it's like, you're just doing it because it seems like you don't get it. <laughs> Instead yeah. of Trelawney having that more like prideful kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So once we get out of that, we do miss a few little things like Sir Cadogan. Now he is in the previous scene with the fat lady on the opposite side of the wall. He kind of like runs in really quick, but that's really all we get from him. I also do kind of miss a little, I mean, it's not necessary at all. And there's no like good way to film this. Their journey to and from the divination tower and the like ladder coming out of the ceiling and everything that's changed. But again, like, I don't think it's super necessary.
I'm not missing anything in divination except for her little predictions about the rabbit and the redheaded man and all the stuff with Neville. I think that would have been cool. I don't, I don't miss it though. She asks about his grandmother, so there's that. And then the other little moment with Neville is where he is struggling to open the book at the beginning of Care of Magical Creatures. I know, and he's adorable. Of course, the big thing that is cut here is Transfiguration. Why are we not giving Maggie Smith all the screen time? Yeah, and I mean, it makes me think back to in the last book how instead of Bins talking about Chamber of Secrets, it was... McGonagall? You do get some more, like, support from McGonagall in this moment. Hermione basically paraphrases it as they're walking down the hill. We've kind of already seen the whole transfiguration into a cat. But the fact that the class is about Animagi is not to be ignored. I will say that in the book, I do love McGonagall being like, why the fuck is no one impressed with me? Yeah. Yeah. impressed with me, I'm amazing. Yeah. Like, this is the first time nobody has given me an applause. And I mean, it's pretty funny. I miss it. The way they do it is okay, I think, but... And honestly, as a supporting cast member, I don't think that it would be... Oh, we just saw that in the last movie where she got to have an extra scene. Like, I would be fine with it. She's fucking McGonagall. So how did you feel about Care of Magical Creatures? Care of Magical Creatures? I have several issues. (laughs) At the beginning, this is where there's the majority of the Draco versus Harry thing. The little thing where they step to one another and then he's like, Dementor! And then they put their hoods up like the KKK and all of that. So, like, that's condensed from the beginning of the chapter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's dumb. I think it's just more cool to show how much of an asshole Draco is. When Draco does step to Buckbeak, it's not like a classroom moment like it is in the book. It's just Draco going right up and being a fucking dick. Um, hold on though, because Buckbeak looks amazing. Well, yes. And then that's the other thing I was to say, the stuff about Buckbeak. You're right. Buckbeak does look amazing. And I already touched on it, but the whole thing where he's, they're flying over the lake and everything. And Harry's like, woo. It's fine for the movie because it's a movie, but I don't like it. I don't either because Harry is our avatar, okay? We've watched Harry travel magically a lot already, and we're in the third book. We watched him take the Hogwarts Express. We've watched him do flu powder. We've watched him on a broom. We've watched him, obviously, on Hogwarts Express. Night bus. Car, the night bus. You and said then- Hogwarts Express twice. I did. Wine. <laughs> yeah. I know it's wine. How much have you had? Just this and the bottle. Oh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, she was holding up two other bottles. <laughs> What's that? This is a lie. Yeah, you guys know who the more sober one is. You can trust me. The bitch drank three bottles. <laughs> no, they know I would be flat on my ass. I mean, no, how I... is that different from any other time? Okay, fuck you. <laughs> okay. No, I think so, it's interesting uh... that Harry travel all these ways. I think it's important to be true to how he feels about each way of traveling. Like, we don't really see him use slew powder much because he fucking doesn't like it. And we see that in the movie. In the second movie, we see that that is not successful for him. Yeah, and we haven't gotten to court keys. We haven't gotten to... um, We haven't gotten to court keys yet. We should be able to see that riding on Buckbeak is not necessarily comfortable for him instead of it being a fun moment. I mean, whatever movies. I feel like it could have been done better, the Care of Magical Creatures, 
it gets the point across, I guess. I wish that there were more of the hippogriffs as well, because in the book, it at least shows like Hagrid was a little more prepared. Like for a huge yeah. class of kids, he has more creatures. It's okay. I I don't like it as much as in the it's book. It's not my favorite. Yeah. I think the flying on Buckbeak scene is too long. Yeah. Yeah, I think, though, visually, it's very cool. Again, it's the thing about adaptation versus movie. And then the last piece with them going down the hut, not necessary. I actually was surprised almost to even see it. It does add a little bit more to Hagrid, which I really like. I'm kind of okay that they cut that part. That makes sense to me. I think that the soundtrack is gorgeous. Yes. And that's the other thing. The soundtrack, and I said in the last episode too, but fuck, man, the cinematography. And the the way that the camera swoops into certain scenes and how you see the architecture, it is amazing. That really needs to not go unnoticed. So I'm going to start with somebody who is getting zero points. At first, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this person points because I liked her approach at the very beginning. But then she was kind of a bitch, so Hermione gets no points. <laughs> like, she has to be mentioned. She can't, like, just not be mentioned. She has to be mentioned. At giving I mean, she's big in this book, and I feel like in this chapter in particular, she needs to be noticed, I think. So I didn't like her approach at certain points, but I did at others. So it's kind of similar to how I took away points from like the twins, for example. But now getting into who actually does get points. Plus five to Fred and George for at the beginning being good big brothers. So they finally do get points. Plus five to Neville because goes through it a little bit in the chapter. And plus five to both Pervati and Lavender, because I really like how they kind of have this nice through line of this entire chapter regarding divination. And I appreciate yeah. that. Plus ten to McGuff for her reason that she is a little bit more level-headed, that she does have this really great teaching moment. Plus ten to Sir Cadagan as well, because... I found him entertaining this time around. I've had the same thing in the past. Like, Bins, for example, comes to mind. And Stan Shunpike. Like, I didn't expect to give them points. But this time around, I, I don't know. There was something I appreciated about them. And I'm also giving 10 to Trelawney. I could probably give her a zero to and even it out. But this is the first time she's here. And I've been waiting for this. I have to give her points. Been waiting for this. Plus 15 to Hagrid. Because I think he does do a good job. At the end, he does have that little responsible moment where he's like, I'm a teacher now. You need to go back to the castle. You can't come visit me during the night. And plus 30 to Buckbeak. Because Buckbeak is amazing. And he swiped the shit out of Draco. And he just I love Buckbeak. Negative points, negative 10 to Pansy. Hold on, one second. Did you not give Harry any points? No. Wow, okay. I gave him 50 points in one chapter already. And we're on chapter six. Yeah, here's the thing. It's like, Harry is being a real bro for Hagrid, and I'm all for that. Are you trying to tell me how to do my points? I'm just surprised. None to Harry. Negative 10 from Pansy Parkinson. She's to stay in her fucking lane, and I don't like her being the side piece to Draco. She got a face like a dog. It even says it in the book. I don't like her. Bye. Negative 30 to Draco, because we know why. The worst. So I'm going to recap... Um, Plus five to Fred, George, Neville, Lavender, and Parvati. Plus ten to Sir Cadogan, McGuh, Trelawney. 
plus 15 to Hagrid, plus 30 to Buckbeak, negative 10 Pansy, negative 30 Draco. Nice. And that's all for chapter six. There it is, chapter six. We did it. We met a Deventer earlier tonight. Yeah, we did, but that's the other chapter. They already listened to that. I know. There's going to be a lot of that pork and pouring sound, I'm sure, during this episode. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Moving on, next time we're going to be reading chapter seven, which is the Boggart in the thing. Uh, it's, it's the Boggart one. Boggart? The, the Boggart in the wardrobe. Oh, it is the wardrobe. I thought it was alliteration. All right. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. I hope we sounded good. Yeah, I hope so. If it sounds bad, sorry about it. We'll sound good once this quarantine is over. Yes, please. And so now Tara can go pee, because I'm sure she has to after drinking three bottles of wine. I had one bottle of wine and an extra glass. Sure, Jan. All right, everybody. Stay safe. (laughs) If you're bored, re-listen to all of our episodes. Yes, please. And we still haven't received any emails, so get to that. Yeah, entertain us. Hey, yes. See you guys next time. Goodbye. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, snitches. snitches!